Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers. We'll be in Numbers chapter 21, looking at verses 4 through 9 this morning. Now, last week, we saw that the second generation of Israelites who came out of the land of Egypt were beginning to make some progress towards the promised land. Just a reminder of where we are in the book of Numbers. The first generation came out of Egypt and they came to the base of Mount Sinai, received the law, and then were sent out from Sinai to receive the land of Canaan. But as we all know, they refused to enter out of fear of conflict with the Canaanites. And last week we saw how now the second generation who has arisen is beginning to make progress towards the promised land. And we see the, how that they have grown as a people from one generation to the next. And yet, in verses 4 through 9 of our text for this morning, what we will see is that even though that they have made progress, there is still much of the first generation's sin in the second generation of Israel. So let us turn our attention now to Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now as a people who have truly been infected by the curse of sin. Our eyes have been blinded to your reality and your truth. And there is no health within us. And so we pray that by the power of Your Word that You would bring to us the cure for our sin. That we might truly see Your grace to us and live. And we pray this through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We see it almost all over the place. Football games, you can see it on t-shirts, on bumper stickers. I actually, after I wrote this introduction, was going down Highway 501 and saw it on a billboard. It is the verse that many of us memorize first. 
and is the one verse that almost everybody knows. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now why is this verse so popular? Well, I think it's because it is such a concise and powerful statement of the Gospel. It communicates to us the coming of the Son, the death of the Son, and the path of eternal life through believing in the Son. And yet this morning I would pose to you, until you understand the book of Numbers, and more specifically, Numbers 21, you will not fully understand what John 3.16 means. Now, there have been more than a few of you who have commented to me as we've gone through the book of Numbers that this is the first time you've ever had a teaching on Numbers. And I can understand why. It's a book that seems somewhat obscure, somewhat inaccessible. Nevertheless, hopefully, as we have gone through the book of Numbers, we've gained a deeper understanding not only of this book, but of the Bible as a whole. And hopefully we've come to understand what Jesus meant when He said in John 5.46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe Me, for He wrote of Me. But if you do not believe His writings, how will you believe My words? How will we believe the words of the Lord Jesus Christ if we do not know and believe the words of Moses? Moses, the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, he wrote of Jesus. His words were the shadow of the substance to come in Christ. And so it should be no surprise to us when the shadow and the substance meet together. That is to see the words of Moses and the work of Christ come together. In our passage for this morning, what we will see is that the foundation of John 3.16 is in Numbers chapter 21. And until we understand this passage, we will fail to see the fullness of the good news that is declared in this most famous of verses. And so, a little bit different structure this week. First, we are going to look at our passage and explain what is going on in these six verses. And once we have seen what is being communicated to us, then we will move to see how it explains the good news of Christ. So first, Numbers 21, 4-9. Now what's happening in these verses? Well, as you remember from last week, The people of Israel were refused passage by the Edomites. And so we read in verse 4 of your text, you can look there, because they could not go through Edom, it says from Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. They had to go around it. They couldn't go through it. And the people became impatient on the way. Yes, there was progress being made, but the second generation of Israelites, again, had more than a little of their parents' attitude in them. They couldn't go the way that they wanted. They couldn't go through the land of Edom. And so they grow impatient because they had to turn back towards the Red Sea. 
you could imagine if you were on this journey for years and years and years and then all of a sudden you have to turn around and go back towards the Red Sea. It's like the frustration of realizing you left your wallet or your purse at home when you are one hour into a ten hour car trip. You realize, I have to turn around and go back. And so we can understand what we read in verse 5. You can look there. It says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. They were impatient. They didn't want to turn around. And so they say, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Familiar complaints. God has delivered us only to die in the wilderness. Yeah, God has provided for us time and time again. Yes, He has given us manna. Yes, He has brought quail. Yes, He has brought water out of the rock. But this time it's going to be different. This time He's going to abandon us. We are going to die. And even if He does give us this manna, we're going to die from eating it for 40 years. It's worthless. It's disgusting. Could you imagine if you were invited as a guest over for dinner and you looked at the meal that you were provided, and you just start ripping into it like this? This food is horrible. It's worthless. This steak is overcooked. These veggies are not prepared correctly. This bread is stale. And you take the table and you flip it over. Could you imagine? And the people, they're finally making progress. But now they're slipping back into their old ways. The Lord must therefore act. He must act decisively so that this generation will not follow the same path as the first generation. And so we read in verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. The Lord responds to the rebellion of the people with wrath, with judgment. Again, you can see there in your text, it says that He, who is it? The Lord, the Lord, He sent fiery serpents in among the people. And when the people received a bite, they would die. This is the just punishment for sin and rebellion against God. From the very beginning, the Lord has warned us that disobedience, transgression of His Word, would result in death. And by disobedience to the Word of God, the curse of death was brought upon the people of Israel in a very tangible way. And while the serpent was the immediate cause, God's judgment and wrath was the ultimate cause of that final phrase in verse 6. Many people of Israel die. And so we read in verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The people realize what they have done. That they have rebelled against the Lord. They see 
That is, He who punishes them for their sin. And more than that, they see that He is the one who will have to remove the curse for their sin to be healed. The Lord is the one who will have to act to save the people from the result of their own sin. It reminds me of people who get stranded on the side of a mountain after being told by officials that the weather is prohibitive to climbing. We see this almost every year. They go out even though they've been told not to do it. And then the very people who told them not to go climbing are the ones that have to go rescue them off the side of the mountain. The Israelites complain that God has brought them into the wilderness to kill them. But once they start dying, they see that the reality is that the Lord is the only one who can save them. And by His grace, He responds to the prayer of Moses. Look at verses 8-9. through They say, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now this event is unique in a familiar process, right? We're used to this pattern. That the people rebel. That God's wrath comes against the people. That intercession is made. And that forgiveness is then given. Yet here we are given a distinct picture of how the Lord will accomplish the healing of His people. The bronze serpent is clearly a picture of the curse that is brought about by sin. It is the serpent who was bringing death to the people here in Numbers 21. But more broadly than that, we know that the form of a serpent was the form that Satan himself took when he tempted Adam and Eve and was then cursed to crawl on the ground. The serpent is the sign of the curse of rebellion against God. Yet this serpent was placed upon a pole and he was lifted up. Showing that it had been defeated. That it had been overcome. The curse had been destroyed. And in being destroyed, the curse became the cure for those infected by the snake's venom. And therefore, anyone who was bitten merely had to look at the bronze serpent to be healed. The serpent became the agent of God's healing, even though it began as the agent of God's wrath. The serpent brought the curse of death, yet viewing the bronze serpent brought the cure of life. Look to the Lord's defeat of the curse. That is what Numbers 21 is saying. Look to the sign that shows the end of God's wrath. There needn't be any other work. There needn't be any other righteousness. The word of the Lord to His rebellious and dying people was, Look. Look at the serpent. See the curse defeated. And you will live. This idea is echoed in Isaiah 45 where the Lord says, Look to Me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. 
a rebellious and dying people are given life by looking to the Lord and His defeat of the curse. And by His grace, the Lord causes the curse to become the cure for sin. That is, the image of the defeated snake is the sign that the Lord has overcome death on behalf of His people. And as His people look to the symbol of death's defeat, they receive life. That's what Numbers 21 is communicating to us. That we must look to the Lord's defeat of death to receive life. But what does this have to do with John 3.16? What does a bronze serpent have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let us turn our attention then to John chapter 3. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles over to John chapter 3. Now, the beginning of John 3, as you might see there, is Jesus' encounter with the Pharisee, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, was a Jewish leader. He would have been well-versed in the Old Testament. And he came at night inquiring about what it was that Jesus was preaching. He seemed somewhat favorable to Jesus, but wasn't quite understanding what was going on. And so he comes asking, what is your ministry all about? And Jesus begins to explain to him. We read in verses 5 and 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Yet after explaining this, Jesus comes to see that Nicodemus is clueless. He still does not understand what is going on here. He has no idea what Jesus is talking about. And he says things like in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Or he says in verse 9, How could these things be? Right? Nicodemus isn't understanding what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? You don't get it? You don't understand? You remain blind to the kingdom of God? Okay then. Let me take a different approach to explaining the gospel. And where does Jesus go to explain the message of the gospel? To explain what He is doing to Nicodemus. He goes to Numbers chapter 21. He goes to a passage that Nicodemus would have known as a Pharisee. He would have known very well. He would have understood what was going on there. He would have understood that the serpent was lifted up to be a sign of the curse defeated that the people might receive life. And in verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 3, we read the, verse, the, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. You see the parallel that Jesus is making? Do you see what He's saying? 
Just as the people of Israel looked to the bronze serpent to receive life, so too must people look to me to receive eternal life. The people of Israel were dying physically because of their rebellion, because of the curse, and so the Lord provided physical deliverance. Yet you are all spiritually dying and need spiritual deliverance. Jesus is saying, do you want to understand my ministry? Then look to the writings of Moses. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Look to the Word of God and you will see that what I am doing is bringing the new birth of eternal life. Now let's explore this parallel a bit more. Now when Jesus says, lift it up, in reference to Moses, we know that he means that he raised up the serpent on a pole for all the people of Israel to see. As we've just explained, the serpent was lifted up to show the defeat of the curse. But what does Jesus mean when he says the Son of Man must be lifted up? Well, as anyone who has read the Gospel knows, when Jesus says the Son of Man, he's referring to himself. We understand that. He's saying that I must be lifted up. And so then as we go through the Gospel of John, we come to understand that lifted up was Jesus' way of speaking of His death, His crucifixion. That is, when He says He must be lifted up, He means that He must be hanged upon a cross. A public spectacle for all to see. And so what Jesus is saying is that even as the snake was put on a pole and shown to be defeated so too must He be publicly executed upon a cross. And in the display of His death, eternal life would be given. But here's the catch. That means that Jesus is equating Himself with what? With the snake. Jesus is saying that as He dies on the cross, He will be like the snake, like the serpent on the pole. How could that be? Why would Jesus, of all the Old Testament images that were available to Him, choose to equate Himself with a serpent? Both biblically and through our own experience, we have been trained not to like snakes. They are associated with evil, with the devil, with the curse, with death. And even in Numbers chapter 21, the fiery serpent brings death. So why would the Lord Jesus equate Himself with a snake to communicate the Gospel message? Why? Because at the heart of the Gospel is the reality that just as in the Old Testament the curse became the cure, now in the New Testament the cure must become a curse. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, Jesus is the cure. He redeems us from the curse. He saved us from death. He is the cure for the disease of sin and death. But how did He do it? Well, Paul goes on to explain. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The cure for sin had to become the curse of sin. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The cure, the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God and receive eternal life. How? In that Jesus became sin for us. What does this mean? It means that when Jesus was lifted up upon the cross, that Jesus became sin. That Jesus became the curse. It means that in the eyes of God the Father, as He looked upon the Son, as He hung upon the cross, the Son became a snake. And while there was nothing sinful in Christ Himself, He took on the curse of His people. The rebellion of His people. The snakeness. The curse. The death of His people. He took it on. He became sin. He became a curse that we might receive His righteousness. He took on death so that everyone who looks to the Lord Jesus Christ will have life. You see, Jesus becomes the very embodiment of the curse. And as He was lifted up, the wrath of God no longer is poured upon the people of God, but it's poured upon the cursed man as He died the death that a sinful people deserved. To become the cure, Jesus had to become the curse. He had to take on the guilt of His people and be lifted high upon the cross. You see, each and every one of us is born under the curse of sin. We have rebelled against God. We are toiling under the penalty for sin. We are like rebellious Israel. We have been bitten by the serpent and His venom is slowly destroying our life. And so God the Father sent God the Son to be lifted up upon the cross To become a curse that we might receive the cure. That we might have eternal life. Why did He do this? What was the motive? Because God so loved the world. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. We don't understand God's love until we understand our rebellion. We don't see what it means that He gave His Son until we understand that the Son became a curse for us. We don't know what it means to believe in Him until we understand that the cure from the curse comes by looking to, by believing in the One who was lifted up on our behalf. You see, Nicodemus didn't understand the new birth. He didn't understand the words of Christ. So Jesus said, I'm going to make this real simple for you. I'm going to go to something that you understand, that you know. All that you must do to receive the kingdom, to receive eternal life, is to look to the sun lifted up. 
Look to Me, Jesus says, and be saved. Look to Me and see the defeat of sin. Look to Me and see the defeat of death. Look to Me and see the end of the curse. You don't need to add anything else. You don't need to look to the world for life. You don't need to look to your family, your money, your religion, your self-righteousness. Look to Me alone and be saved, says the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we must all come to the realization that we have been bitten. We are infected by the curse of sin and we need healing. The cure is not complicated. All the Lord requires is that we look to Him lifted up. That we look to the cure becoming the curse for us. And receive eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we come to You now and we confess that we are rebellious people and that we need the cure of the Son lifted up on our behalf. Might we now look to Christ alone and receive life. We pray this through Your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.